You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Crispin Starwell, it's good to see you. Good to see you, Dan. Um, welcome to everyone in the Sophia audience, the larger Meaning of Life.tv, bloggingheads.tv audience. Um, the Sophia program is available on video streaming and audio podcast. Um, and, um, I'm here once again with Crispin Sartwell, associate professor of philosophy at Dickinson College, um, uh, polymath, eclecticist, knows something about everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and everything about nothing. I was just saying to him that, you know, it's like I'm working on these prolegomena and, um, I'm finding out that on almost every element, Crispin's already written a book about it. Um, so, so, so he's a perfect person to hold me, hold me to things. Um, Crispin, you are in a lovely environment. Is that, is that the backyard of your house? Yes. I'm on my back deck here in orchard country in uh, Adams County, Pennsylvania. Beautiful. It's, deck. it's beautiful. It actually looks a lot like where I live. Um, um, I mean, I live in a suburban area, so it doesn't look like that, but, you just drive five minutes out of town and that's exactly what it looks like. Um, is that a stone wall? Is that the limit of your property? What I'm seeing behind you? Uh, it's actually just a pile of rocks that the farmers <laughs> dropped there uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm still not sure why, uh, but it's a big pile of rocks. I, I sort of collect rocks too. That's what's on the, uh, these uh, suiseki that are supposed to look like um, mountains. You run an you run a series on your blog, do you not? Of just sort of images of these stones that you've collected. I remember seeing a lot of them. Yeah, it's true. I was I was really way into this for a long time. I guess you know. Is uh, it? Are they collected in a single place, or are they just sort of scattered throughout the blog? Uh there's people probably, might like them. Yeah, um, I think I have better rocks now, but um, I th- I think there might be like a a, a subject line for that i should i need to look yeah but um i I actually like those a lot those those posts and um some of them with the photography is really close you can almost forget you're looking at a rock and you think you're almost looking it's 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 got a great um they've got great qualities textures all that sort of stuff yeah i'm Um, so you're 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 at your house um you already said that dickinson is returning but only at half capacity. Has there been developments? It's, it hasn't been decided, uh, actually at all, but it, it, that does seem to be the way it's trending. Maybe half students back, but I think we're waiting like a lot of people to, for a consensus to emerge or like for other institutions to make their decisions. Well, in but a way- the thing is that they are, I mean, yeah. so, so my institution, we are returning. We are, I'm going to do a combination of live and uh, this format Um, that will depend partly on the professor's condition, age, et cetera, the nature of the class. They're going to put smaller classes in larger rooms. Um, You know, they're going to do all that kind of stuff. They're going to ask people to wear masks in the building. Yeah. Um, They're doing things like that. Um, What they're doing with residence life and stuff, I don't know. I don't get the emails about that. Um, but we're not 100% residential like you are. I mean, we do have a significant commuter population. 
Well, that's interesting that you all have made the decision. And I think that maybe that's the sort of the way it's going kind of is uh, people are reopening. Well, you know, we, we never got hit here very hard. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I think we've had like a hundred deaths in the entire County. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, no, a hundred cases and like yeah. eight to 10 deaths in the entire County. Yeah. And so I, I feel a little bit like the entire discourse around this pandemic has given the impression as if it's all like New York <laughs> and it really isn't. Um, 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 that, people are worried that it will be sort of, or yeah, well, of course. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the fear. Um, now in my daughter's supposed to start in Indiana. Now that's an 800 pound gorilla. I mean, that's a huge state yeah. university. They also are reopening. They also are, but they're doing all sorts of interesting things, but you know, they have the money, <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. every student in a dorm is going to be in a single. Yes. We're, we're going to have to do that, I guess. But, but can you? I mean, that's the, that's the issue. I mean, a place like Indiana has almost endless resources. I mean, they can do – I'm assuming your school cannot just simply create a building out of nowhere, right, or, or convert no. a building out of nowhere or – No. So, um, um, yeah, it's interesting, though, that people – the decisions are being made. I'm yeah, glad well, they have to be. I mean, yeah. you know – You've accepted a whole cadre of students. You've got students who are returning. The institutions cannot survive if they don't continue, you know, if they don't take intuition. Um, And so, you know, this is now where we're at the hard point. You know, I've been bothering everybody, annoying everybody, saying we need to have a conversation about what we take to be relevant competing values and costs. And it's bothered me that we haven't had it. Yeah. Um, we simply had a set of values stipulated to us um, um, by so-called experts, but they're only expert in epidemiology. They're not experts in values, right? I mean, that's that's incumbent on us, the citizenry, to decide that. I agree. And I think that, you know, in a weird way, the riots are sort of deciding it for us because they're forcing a conversation. Oh, wait a minute. I thought we weren't supposed to gather 100,000 people. And you've actually got doctors and stuff who've signing public letters saying, well, this is really worth it. Yes. Well, okay. My grandmother's funeral is really worth it too. Yeah. Right. As is my daughter's college education. As is, in other words, the minute you start the, is it worth it conversation? Now the flood is open. Yes. And, and I'm not simply having that conversation throughout, right? Yeah. I'm not going to simply accept the stipulation of some elites that, protests are worth it and my daughter's college education isn't i'm sorry i think my daughter's college education is more important than protests and i'm willing to have an argument about that because she's not the only one there's hundreds right. of thousands of her right so I think the pretty i'm almost daring people to have it but no but everybody's just like you know <laughs> right well then you get accused of like saying it's okay to let people die or whatever you know but actually, people are going to be have tremendous costs either any way you go with this. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and that's and look, this is exactly the sort of thing we need. We're supposed to be needing philosophers for. True. And uh, have you found philosophy somewhat suspiciously awol on having this conversation? Seems to me our colleagues have mostly just jumped on the stipulated values bandwagon, and they're not interrogating this at all. Well, that's not that surprising because it's all part of the political polarization, right? And, you know, and, and like faculty in most departments, it's pretty unanimous in philosophy where, where your political position is. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and that's really too bad that this yeah. whole thing got kind of sucked into the political wars. No, that's the worst part of it. Oh. Anyway, um, thank God we don't have to talk about this um, <laughs> since we're going to be talking about my prolegomena for a pluralist metaphysics. This is going to be our second conversation. There have been already five installments on in on the Electric Agora, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I sele- I asked Crispin to do this with me, a because he is one of the only philosophers I know who is who knows enough about the topics across this, this these prolegomena to discuss them intelligibly, and also because uh, he disagrees with me substantially. Um, so I'm going to like last time allow you to kind of interrogate me if you like. Um, um, good. Sounds good. And I'll pause to just, just just to elaborate or define anything that's too technical, or um, but otherwise I'm simply going to reply to to what you want to pose to me. Okay, so let's. Uh, I thought we, maybe we could look at the entry on persons, mm-hmm. uh, the most recent one. Um, sure. And what are persons? That's sort of what I take what up. What are persons? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually, okay, so I, I, I got to say, like, I, I really dig the writing style and the move, uh, like, the directly at the question approach, like, that you take in this thing. Like, it's th- th- that entry is brief, but it's kind of, um, it says a lot, really, yeah. I think. Yeah, I appreciate that. It'll have to be unpacked in a book, obviously, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that there's a machinery there that needs elaboration in various directions, but it's very crisply presented. Appreciate that. And, yeah, and it's also seductive in a kind of Socratic way. Um, I guess my it's telling me my internet is unstable, but I don't know. Um, I haven't seen you glitch yet, but if I see it, I'll just simply pause the recording, um, which is easy to do. Yeah, I might just move inside if we have some problems. Sure, so far so good, though. Yeah, so the first claim that you make is that there are people. Yep. Okay. And, um, I mean, like I say, I'm kind of comparing this to a Socratic move. Like, like the it's first, rhetoric. It's clearly rhetorical. Well, well, the first, you could just say it begs the question right from the first sentence, right? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, uh, because I agree. There are people. Right. Yeah. I Two mean, of them are talking to each other right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, right, and so, like, the the kind of Socratic move where you ask someone, you believe this, don't you? And it's pretty straightforward, common sense, uh, something or other. And then pretty soon, uh, you know, through a series, in the dialogue, you realize you've accepted something that's really actually going to take you where Socrates wants you to go, actually. Yeah. So it's, it's rather disarming, you know. Um, yeah, so there are people. And uh, we care about whether there are people, right? Like, in, in other words, because people matter morally to us in a way uh, that we find important. And it, now, on, on the and the move is in terms of this hypos, hypostatization. Uh, I, I want to say reification, maybe. It's a terrible word. I I, I don't know what else to use. Yeah. Um, but the idea that whenever we commit to something, we, this came up last time, whenever we ontologically commit to something, we're not just saying there is something, but we are saying there is some distinct substrate 
or some distinct object, right? And yeah. what I tried to do is say that that's just in the last installments was that's just not correct. I mean, I mean, that's just not, it's not what it means when we say, when we quantify, right? Okay. That's why I channel the quine. And, and you have some really no good independent argument for it. People just take that as sort of like what it just means on its face. And so what I wanted to say was, look, if you don't assume that, then that frees us to make a number of existential claims without committing to all kinds of weird metaphysics, right? To all kinds of weird substrates and substances, which then give us interaction problems and all right. sorts of things. So I deliberately wanted to set that up before I hit you with there are people because I want to, I want to block the move of saying, well, what, what are those people other than human bodies? Then they must be spooky entities. I wanted right. to head that off before I even got, got to people. Right, and you're, and I, I like your initial response, like to the question, "What are people?" Uh, I, I'm trying to, I did print it out, although it kind of printed out, screwed up. But um, uh, you, you write, so what are people then? This is easy to answer, like the question of whether there are people, uh, and, and shouldn't have to be told to anyone. People are friends and neighbors. People are parents and siblings. People are plaintiffs and defendants. This is a nice little set of uh, people are entertainers and fans. People are heroes and villains, etc. Right, and so that I think that's like I'm really interested in this, um, you know, anti-reified, anti-hypostatized ontology because that's an interesting sort of answer, right? And it's kind of a Wittgensteinian answer. Uh, like, how do we use this word? Like, uh, and, you know, instead of like trying to pre- present some essence, we start enumerating cases yeah. and, and, you know, and let that elucidate whatever we have in the way of a concept. Or even maybe we don't really have a concept. What we have is a range of cases or something like that. Or maybe we do have a concept. I'm not sure. Um, but that, like sort of ontological puncturing, I think is it's really promising. Even if the philosopher in me can't let go of the question, what is it? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm looking at all that. Okay. What are all and only those things, those kind of things have in common? Yeah. I'm immediately. I actually think there's an answer to that, which I give. It's the Salarzian answer. What all those things have in common is participating in a network of, reasons and reasons and ends right i mean that's that that's that's that whole thing about in a sense that the the building blocks of the manifest image are persons and intentions right i mean that's as opposed to the building blocks of the scientific image which are matter and energy right And, and you know and it gets at this sort of i don't know i thought it fit really sort of very nicely right um um and and if you think about it with all the things that comprise the ontology of the manifest image, if I'll be allowed that, um, they're all the kinds of things that you can only elucidate by enumeration because they're not going to be subject to sort of reductive analyses, right? The sorts of analyses, when we ask what is an X in the, over in the scientific image, what we're ultimately going to get is some sort of ad, atomistic, reductive, other sorts of explanation. But when we ask what are the things in the, in the manifest image, our answers are always going to be relational, right? They're going to have to do with the participation in various forms of life, um, okay. the sharing of various values, the framing of things normatively, 
and that's sort of what I was trying to communicate impressionistically and maybe what was too short of an entry um, about the entry on persons. But that's what I was trying to communicate impressionistically. Okay, so I agree, like, if if we're going to say anything about what persons are, uh, it's going to have to be relational in various complex ways. It's not going to be like saying what a human organism is. That's a very different kind of an answer, right? That's an answer that's going to get down into the material building blocks, right, of, of, of biological organisms. You're going to be talking about blood and DNA and all this sort of stuff. But when you ask me what a person is, you know, we're operating in a different frame of reference. We're operating in the frame having to do with, like I said, actions, reasons, and ends, which is why I don't think it's separable from it. And Sellers doesn't either. Sellers defines persons in terms of that network, right? So um, I right. suspect probably your objections are mostly going to apply to the network, right? Um, well, it, broadly construed, uh, I guess so. Um, I Okay, so... Here's the tension that I, I saw, I guess, in the entry, is that the first move is to say, almost like, I'm not going to try to define this concept. Or maybe this isn't quite a concept even, you know, or maybe we've misconstrued what a concept is. Like, it's not something that we're going to be able to nail down with necessary and sufficient conditions, in this case at least. But then moving on to the seller's style characterization of persons, it seems like you're straightforwardly answering the question, what a person is. Now, you're not asking the question of what a person is made out of, although if you said a person is composed of reasons, uh, you know, goals, um, narratives, and things like that. You know, Joseph, Joseph Margolis says things like that. You know, I reviewed a book of his. And he said something like, like we write ourselves or something like that. And I guess I think that's maybe true in a figurative kind of way, but I really dislike it because again, it gets interpreted as people are made out of stories, right? Where the made out of is supposed to be in some way an analogy to being made out of, you know, cells, right? And I, you know, and I just really, I don't think it's necessary. Again, I I will want to say that I do think that that does kind of presuppose a hypostatic conception of ontological commitment. Um, right. That's why I I sort of said in the earlier installment that people don't have thinginess, right? Um um and 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 that 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 we shouldn't understand the ontology of the of the manifest image that way. Um um. And so reason arises out of the interpretation of 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 the things that are in, in the in the scientific to a certain extent, right? Right. What I'm calling an action is in a sense the result of a certain interpretation of a set of motor movements, right? Um um and thus cannot be identical with those motor movements, right? Um that, that's why I say in actions, reason, and causes, and the stuff on actions, reason, and causes, and so. I guess I just sort of want to resist. I want to say that there's an ambiguity when you ask what is X. You yes. might be asking the sort of question, the proper answer of which is a reductive analysis, but you also might be asking the kind of question, the proper answer to which is an enumeration of cases, right? And what I'm right. saying in, 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 in what, that cases that bear a family resemblance, right? And that's what I'm essentially saying about persons. And I would say more generally about all the elements of the manifest image. So the the Solarsian stuff about persons are things that occupy a space of reasons and so on, uh, or, you know, operate from certain 
Tuloy or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, that that doesn't have to be construed as saying that these kind of things are parts of persons or that you could reduce no, personhood yeah. to a set of specific right. aspects. I wouldn't want to say that. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess I wonder, do you, but, but you come very close to defining what a person is. And yeah, to I, the I, extent I, to which you can, I think it's going to be something vaguely Lockean, right? I mean, it's going to have something to do. I mean, that's why I think it's very useful that Locke says that person is a forensic term, right? Um, um, and, and that it makes it very clear that it's not a biological classification, right? Um, and so, so what, what does mean? mean there? I'm sorry. What does forensic mean? There? Well, I, I guess he means what, what he means is intersects particularly with, you know, it's a legal concept, but I would stretch that simply to say person is ultimately a kind of normative concept. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, all the instances I give in my enumeration, if you think about them are to one degree or another individuated by what ultimately are normative considerations. Right. Or at least relational, social relational considerations. Yes, yes but those are all going to be ultimately intentional slash teleological. They're going to sort of have that as part of their structure, it seems to me. Okay. Yeah, so you're, but you're not resisting. So we should regard, like, when you quote Sellers describing what a person is, um, we should regard that as a way of sort of roughly characterizing the family uh, resemblance rather than, like, a necessary and sufficient conditions. Oh, I don't think there are any necessary – no, I – yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when, you, when you look at that list of enumerated examples that I give, I think you can get a very powerful sense of the kind of concept that person is, right? Um, um, and the kind of network of um, – um, uh, of reasons and ends that they play into, right. That, it, that, that they participate in, if you want to say, um, yeah. I think yeah. that's a, very, that's a very legitimate way to define a term, right? I mean, it depends on what kind of term you're dealing with, but in other words, like you say, like I, I, it's, it strikes me as similar to the way I think about trying to define a term like beauty or even truth and stuff like that is like, no, you're not going to give a necessary and sufficient conditions uh, all and only essence style definition. Yep. What you're going to do is you're going to look at a wide range of cases that sort of ordinary language counts as cases of that kind, as persons or something that's beautiful. Yeah. And then you're going to grope for strands of similarity among them. Yeah. And you're going to kind of roughly characterize the group which is bleeds out around the edges. There are lots of intermediate cases. Is this a person or is this not a person? Yeah. And that seems to me that strikes me as being true, right? Um, yeah. Um, 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 we we can all think of cases of per- persons who are sort of in, on the margins, and also, of course, personhood is also to a certain extent developmentally characterized, right? I mean, in some ways, very young tr- children are still are still are still in development as persons, and that's in good part due to the fact that their capacity to sort of form intentions and to relate intentions to ends is still rudimentary, right? Right. Um, and to pick um, up social roles and yeah, yeah. all of that. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that seems like a good procedure for trying to generate a theory of persons or something like that. Although, yeah, I wasn't clear on what I thought it almost seemed like a contradiction. It was like, 
you're almost saying like, I'm not going to define what a person is. And then you are going to define, and then you do. Uh, but yeah, what I want to do is resist a certain kind of definition. Yeah. And I want to reject a certain kind of what question I want to say, look, when you say what is X, that could mean several things. Um, it can't mean the following with respect to persons because persons don't have thinginess. <laughs> um, but it, it can mean something else. And here's what I, I take it to mean yeah. when somebody asks me of it. And I think it's, I think it's a, a sufficient answer. I don't think there's anything lacking in the answer. I don't think there's anything that say, you know, we really need that reductive analysis after all. Um, um, I just don't think so. Um, um, but I'm also happy, you know, this came up a little bit last time. I'm happy for there to be multiple autonomous domains of explanation that cannot be reduced to. In other words, my, my metaphysical pluralism sits very happily with an explanatory pluralism. And that's something I would have thought we were already kind of forced to grudgingly accept just because of the critique of reductionism that people like Fodor and others made in the 70s, right? Um, I mean, even the sciences are disunified, as we've ex- talked about last time. So why yeah. wouldn't it be the case that there's disunity between the kind of discourse that we engage in when we, you know, engage in moral or, or legal or political discourse and the sorts that we do when we're, do- we're talking about biology and chemistry? Right. Although. I guess my, my impulse is to think like it all has to be connected and it all has to be compatible. And, but it's not because you think that that follows from there just being one world. I do kind of, but I'm not sure why I do exactly. Uh, but yeah. Well, I'm hoping you can think of why, because I would (laughs) take that to be the single most important criticism I would have to, I would have to deal with. Right. So if, you know, in other, in other words, I, I'm, I'm spending a lot of cash on the basis of these, of this explanatory pluralism. I mean, look, if the explanatory pluralism is indefensible, then the ontological pluralism isn't going to do much for me, right? And the metaphysical pluralism is not going to do much for me. So, I mean, it's kind of important if there is a case to be made there, right? <laughs> that I know what it is. You know, don't keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I think I want the, I guess I keep formulating this in terms of what I want, which is not necessarily very relevant, but uh, I think of the world as a single coherent system. Um, and so like, I, so in some ways, everything that is going to be true in that world has to be true simultaneously. Uh, has, I mean, I, re- I would really, gr- I, I would, I'll take a shot at groping for why I think this has to be, or, or why, like, if I had pluralistic explanations, which we do, obviously, um, why I would always like tend to go like, okay, how do we bring that together into uh, a single picture or something like this? But, I'm not sure that that's more than a prejudice. I'm not sure that I, I w- I'm not sure I wouldn't be better off if I could let that go. And you're not, you're not satisfied by the idea that we get a single experience by way of the stereoscopic, right? That's not, that's not satisfying to you. Cause I do think there, we do wind up getting a single picture. Good. I just think that the single picture includes elements 
that cannot be reduced to one another or replaced one for the other, but sort of have to be taken together, right? Or just lying um, side by side or something, maybe. Or- yeah, but 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 if that's not you know if that's yeah. not satisfying, I'd like to you know I'd, I'd be interested to hear why. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd be impressed with myself if I could say why. Now, what about the entryway? I mean, maybe an entryway for you to get into this to disagree is to sort of come at it from the sort of the, some of the underlying building blocks or the relata that I talk about persons in light of. So that's the actions, the reasons, and the, yes. and the ends. Um, um, I that's thought at the end of last time you wanted to say something pretty radical, and that is that yes. in my way of conceiving of actions that you actually don't think we act at all, Right. Um, in the way I said, in the way I conceive of action. So I said an action is the doing of something for a reason that's related, um, uh, teleologically to an end, right? That, that's what I said an action is. And I said very clearly that an action is not identical with a motor movement. Uh, if only because the exact, I say motor movements can count as wildly different actions. I would go farther and say that actions are actually individuated by their relationship between their reasons and their ends. Um, that's what makes an action one action and not another. So I would want to, you know, until I hear what your critique is, I mean, I, you gave an inkling having to do with addiction. But yeah. one of the things I would want to push you on is that even if I accept everything you say, how do you individuate actions without reference to their uh, their, their reasons and ends? I mean, what makes this asking to go to the bathroom as opposed to calling a taxi, Right. Um, um, I don't see how you're going to be able to do that. But why don't you articulate the objection first, and then we can sort of. All right. Could, and, and and just to, to frame it up a little more, you know, for maybe people who aren't that familiar with this whole discourse, uh, we're concerned with persons because we think, or maybe many think anyway, that persons count morally in a way that non-persons do not. Um. And we're concerned with actions because we think they're the kind of things that we can be responsible for that have moral content, whereas like random twitching or something doesn't. So I, I feel like there's the, the urgency of these questions is in ethics, right? It's about. Yeah, no, it's definitely. Let me just uh, push you a little bit on the first characterization and see if you accept this or if you want to resist this also. I would not say that um, the the reason that 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 persons matter more than non-persons. What I would say is that mattering is only intelligible within the context of persons. Yeah, I don't think so. In other words, I'm running the – I I accept the basic view that Bernard Williams pushes in the, the essay on the human prejudice. Um, that, that ethical concern is only intelligible within the frame of persons. That doesn't mean it can't be extended to non-persons, right? But to extend ethical consideration to non-persons is an expression of the human prejudice. It's of, of, of the person prejudice. It's not an exception to it, right? Um, well, um, if you, if you ascribe certain kinds of moral uh, qualities. The starfish don't matter to, to lobsters, right? I mean, I mean, they might matter to us. Um, um, no, they matter to lobsters. Uh, I think, but, uh, but now have brain, they don't even have brains, man. I mean, I don't even understand, you know, (laughs) come on. (laughs) They want starfish though. Um, want, want, I would press you very hard on want. Yeah. 
anyway, go on, go on. But that, that would be my, I would want to say, no, it's not that people count more. It's that counting is only intelligible within the frame, within the space of reasons is what I, I would want to say. I think what I said was that a uh, person's count in a different way uh, than other sorts of things. Okay. Uh, I'll go true. with it. Yeah. It might be only, it might be true that only persons broadly construed rank things ethically, how much they matter. But that doesn't indicate that things don't matter to each other or something like that, I guess, you know? I guess what I'm rejecting is the idea that things matter intrinsically or from some God's eye point of view. Um, I guess I want to accept what Mill ultimately says in utilitarianism, and that is that what it is to be valuable is to matter to someone, right? Right, I um, think that's Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, okay, let me press you one second on, on uh, persons being not things and not mm. reducible to members of a biological species. I mean, if I offhand, if I were to define persons, I would define us as members of the species Homo sapiens, something like that. Uh, I don't really – so, I mean, maybe that's a reductionist. But let me ask you this. Do you think that people are identical with bodies? I do, I do. But then how can it be that a person can commit an action with somebody else's body? <laughs> I could brainwash you and send you to rob a bank. Now, if the robbery is the relevant action, I'm the one who committed the robbery, not you. And that has actually reflected in how the law would respond to it, right? So I'm not sure. How can you identify people with bodies given that a person can act without any motor movement on his part at all. <laughs> That's an interesting case. I mean, actually, I don't think that in some ways, I don't think persons, I'd have to go really elaborately on this, but I don't think persons are I, quite identical to their bodies, actually. Okay. Um, but because uh, I think like the human mind, I'm an externalist with regard to mental content. So I think the human mind extends into the, external environment but but let, let me ask you this about persons on your conception as non-things and not identical to human bodies for example um are he, are persons spatially located for example where are persons because it seems like just as i can say like okay there definitely are persons there's one now. right john's in my house yeah okay. what am i pointing at yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but, I mean, that's maybe the wrong question. Yeah. But no, 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 no. That's that's. I think that's a strong question. That's going to be one of the harder ones, right? I mean, um, um, and um, you know, because if I'm going to sort of, you know, plant my flag on people don't have thinginess, then they shouldn't be anywhere either, right? I mean, I mean, uh, um, um, and you know, this is this is a part of this that I'm really going to have to work out. I mean, and I, I and the only one excuse I'll make is that. I actually do think that this sort of is actually quite extraordinarily difficult. Um, not only to figure out, but to express. Um, um, I, I actually, part of the reason the damn piece was so short is I'm just finding articulating the idea tremendously difficult. <laughs> and so I'm trying to do it in sort of very pithy, common sensey ways with very mundane. There's a reason why I pick very mundane examples um, um, rather than exotic ones. Um, so, so let me try to sort of, circle around and answer. I mean, I mean, it, look, people have, but clearly people have bodies, right? Um, um, you know, uh, you know, 
this is my hand, right? Right. Um, so the um, owner, you, you, we could define you as the owner of that body. Yeah, but if you notice what I said in the essay, is like, but, but people don't inhabit their bodies the way that pe- that that people inhabit their houses, right? So on the one hand, well, but then then you're getting into little, then you're getting into kind of homunculisms and stuff, which strike me as yeah. exactly what I don't want to say. Exactly what nobody should want to say is is considered hopeless by everyone, even people who disagree on everything, right? Um, um, I don't know anybody who's like an, an enthusiastic homunculist other than, you know, r- religious people who have some weird notion of souls inhabiting bodies or something, um, right. um, or very sort of primitive Cartesians. Um, but um, so, you know, what do I say? On the one hand, People aren't identical with their bodies. People have bodies, right? People, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, when I, when I make a decision, I use my brain, but my brain hasn't made a decision, right? I mean, there, there's all these sorts of, um, things that I'm going to want to say, okay. I use my brain. It seems pretty odd. Like, so is it, you is, think, you think, that your legs went, you think your legs went to the store? I think I went to the store and partly by means of the use of my legs, right? My legs didn't go to the store. Going, going is something that is an action, right? Is gonna, is gonna have, now, it is true that my legs did this, okay? But this only counts as going to the store under certain interpretations and within certain frames. This could also be, um, 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 walking in place. This could be, you know, muscle spasms. This could be all sorts of things, right? What makes it a specific action? is its embeddedness in a frame of reasons and ends, right? I mean, that's what makes it going to the store rather than uh, 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 working out, right? Um, so, um, so would it be nonsense for me to say, for example, I went to the store because Hulk Hogan dragged me? Like, for example? Uh, I mean, you, see, can, look, you can say it, but I think that if you really wanted to be as clear as possible, right? You, yeah, I never went to the store at all? This would seem to indicate that my body. Well, no, you didn't go to the store. You were taken to the store. It seems to me. Right. Right. That's somebody else. Somebody else's. You know. You know. Let's put it this way. I mean, that's not so far off from robbing the bank, right? I mean, I mean, if I hypnotize you and send you to rob a bank, um, you know, there's one sense in which you robbed a bank, but it's yeah. not the relevant one. It's and not it's the, not the, one, it's not the one that's going to end up with you in jail and me and me free, right? It's not. In other words, the, in the relevant sense, look, I'm going to say that the relevant way to criminal justice, relevant to who relevant to criminal right? justice, relative to moral judgment, relative to um, all sorts of things having to do with with one's with the evaluation of one's character, um, 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 you know. Um, Right. There's a big difference if you rob a bank and I use your body to rob a bank, um, yeah. w- one one would impinge upon your virtue and the other would not, right? Um, there's all sorts of... I would be responsible in one case, but not in the other. Uh, that's in, in every dimension of responsibility, right? I mean, I mean, no one would hold you responsible in any, in any form, right? Um, um, legally, morally, um, and so right. on and so forth. Um, I do try to deal with some of these type of counterexamples because my, my position is that, uh, you know, choice or freedom 
in whatever sense is actually not necessary to moral responsibility. But we can, I mean, we can, we can. Is that because you, you embrace some sort of, sort of compatibilism? Uh, I guess my position is semi-compatibilism, as sometimes called, uh, which is, uh, that's John Martin Fisher's term for it, I think, which is that I want to say whether or not we have free will in any sense, we can be morally responsible under some circumstances. Um, but but okay. I'm happy, look, I'm happy to to discuss far more mundane, less charged cases, right? So, so, you know, let's, let's make, let's make a, you know, you know, um, um, how do I individuate two identical sets of motor movements that are entirely different actions, right? I mean, I I do it by reference to reasons and ends, right? That's the difference between going to the store, let's say, uh, going shopping, let's say, and uh, going for exercise, right? I mean, I mean, I, 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 I might, you know, I see, I see old people do I, you, before lockdown. You'd see old people um, using the mall, let's say, yeah, to go work out in. And what are they doing? They're walking around the mall now. Now, I could, I, I could do exactly the same pattern of motion, right? And but I'm not, I'm not taking exercise. I'm shopping, right? Now, how do I, indi- how do I distinguish? How do I individuate actions? I can't do it from by mere reference to motor movements because motor move the identical set of motor movements can constitute entirely different actions, right? Like I said in the essay, doing this can can count as you know five, six different actions, right? What individuates those actions are the reasons and ends they interact with, not the motor the underlying motor movements, despite the fact that the actions consist of those motor movements, right? Yes. But I wonder if that's in principle that different from uh, various ways of describing the same physical event in non, you know, non-person type of cases. You know, so like you could say like it's, you know, water is falling from the sky or it's raining or, you know, I mean, there, there may be many descriptions of a rainstorm, uh, you know, that, highlight different dimensions of the event or something like that, all of which have to be compatible with each other in some ways. Um, I mean, I wonder just like it's, it's one action, which is identical to the physical event, but it's very, I mean, this is Davidson, I guess, you know, but it's describable right in, in many different terms. Um, although, yeah, I mean, okay, so in Davidson's account, right, um, the very same physical event, uh, he, he wants to say, like, um, you, you know, the accordion question, like how much of what comes out of the movement of the body is part of the same action. So when we describe, like, some of those cases that you described, uh, you know, you could – you could maintain that the motor movement is the action. Um, and then, you know, there's various descriptions of it that pull it out further temporally or compress it down or highlight different features of it. Um, but, I mean, one thing Davidson points out is that, you know, the act of uh, – that, that if you temporally smear the action or you, you take a different temporal – cut of the action um, and its effects, you're actually describing a different action 
Like these, it's not, so the problem, I mean, some of the cases might be treatable by saying it's not actually the same motor movement or something like that. It's uh, because so talk we're me through it. it. Talk me through Cause it's very, okay. I'm I've trying done, to remember. This. I've done this. Okay. Yes. Now, um, what is it that makes this alternatively a request to go to the bathroom, a request to ask a question, the hailing of a taxi, Talk me through how yeah. I individuate those actions without reference to reasons and ends. Right. Okay. So I don't think it can be done, honestly. All right. Wait, if it was me, I would start with the context, the physical context of the action. Uh, even the if, I'm standing, if I'm standing on the side of the street in New York with taxi streaming by, right? Yeah. But that's because you, the reason that you would say that is because you, you're going to reconstruct my intentions and ends with respect to the context. The context provides information. Look, in this sense, an action is like a speech act, right? Well, speech acts are going to have to be individuated by their intent, by their by their reasons and the ends, right? And and by sh- and by common understandings and context, right? Otherwise, otherwise, the same very noises can constitute entirely different speech acts, right? Common understanding and con- and physical context, I think, are relevant if you're going to differentiate. Yeah, right. But that, that that's already non. You're already making references to things that are non-reductively analyzable, right? Right, or not not immediately physically reducible, or something like that, for sure. To to motor movements, right? Um, and all that I'm saying is, why do we need to care about that? Only if we're wedded to some kind of monistic ontology and monistic. I guess all that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just sort of defang and say, look, there's nothing wrong with pluralistic ontologies and pluralistic explanations right. because they don't have these bad implications. And yeah. so we should accept what the apparent plurality yeah. as actual you know, plurality. And, st- and, and it's really a sort of a, a let's stop worrying sort of argument, right? Yeah, and it, I've I've had an interesting reaction to your views on this. Actually, I I've started to wonder why I am an insistent monist of some kind. I, I I'm looking back at my own stuff and trying to think like, what motivated that? Like, why do I need that? Yeah. Why do I want? It that? used to be unity of the sciences intuition. So if you ask me, where does this come from in the in the in the contemporary era? Meaning. After the Industrial Revolution, I would say primarily comes out of logical positivism and out of intuitions having to do with the unity of the sciences and the apparent generality of physics vis-a-vis all the rest, right? Um, and that's perfectly understandable and makes sense. But then once you go long down enough, you start to see how the various proposed reductions are supposed to work and you realize they're hopeless and all this sort of that. But I don't know what other than that right. has been a reason I mean, is it all just lingering positivistic intuitions? No, and you're also right that all kinds of crazy problems arise are produced by that insistence. That's really, and you sort of convinced me on this a little bit. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about my ontology somewhat differently. Uh, but yeah, I, I think for me, it comes from maybe not from the unity of sciences. It comes from maybe like just starting out in philosophy, reading Plato, reading Kant, you know, thinking like, and, and admiring, like, the fact that it's all going to fit together, you know, in this, like, nifty, systematic way. So you but, never felt more – you never found compelling the, the, the sort of the B tradition? 
Because there has always been a B tradition that points more in my sort of direction. I'm not saying that Aristotle, let's say, is a, is genuinely a pluralist in the way that I described, but he's certainly an explanatory pluralist, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, he is simply going to say, look, we can give a certain level of detail of a kind of account about virtue and things like that. If you want to have a more, more quote unquote rigorous, right? He's just going to not going to be able to. It's the wrong kind of subject, right? Yeah. I would say Hume does the same sort of thing, right? Hume doesn't, you know, that, that's the reason why, you know, Hume is constantly, people are fighting about whether he's, you know, whether he's a, a skeptic or an ordinary, a, a common sense philosopher like Reed or whether he's more like, and that's yeah. because I think he sort of at the end accepts a kind of pluralism. Like, look, philosophy tells me this. Um, I just can't bring, I, I can't function as if that was true, right? Um, and so I bifurcate, okay, in the study, this is what I think is the case, but you know, everything I do tells against it, right? And that's okay, right? Um, no, it's not okay. Well, but, he's but, saying that's okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so what I'm saying is that you've never found compelling the kind of the B tradition? I have, I do. Uh, and Rather I feel than Plato, Descartes, Kant, yeah. you, you know, Aristotle, Hume, I felt it to be more compelling. So now I'm trying to figure out, like, why did I go down this direction? But uh, maybe I was trying to see to what extent I thought things could be unified in a single explanatory framework. But maybe the right answer is, all right, but let me push you on persons, okay? No, no, go ahead. Yeah, anything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like in my book, End of Story, and also in Say Entang- that again. I just coughed over yeah. the name. Uh, in in my book, End of Story, and in Entanglements, the ethics chapter, I say things about the picture you're drawing that a person is quite a different sort of thing than other sorts of things. And the reason is because they envision a future. They have goals. They have purposes. They have teloi. Um, and they act to realize those goals or purposes um and that this again like as you say like this marks a different explanatory framework for understanding what's happening and stuff like this um you know like i i, I look at versions of that from people like course guard um or uh susan wolf uh or Derek parfit um although i like in the books i don't really quote parfit but I don't feel that to be me. I I don't think that you don't do I, things I, for reasons. Well, I, I think it's a complex matter. Why do you I, sit I, on I, the I, porch instead of sitting inside? Isn't that for reasons? I'm not sure. I went back and forth. I ended up outside. Uh, I could try to reconstruct some kind of deliberation. That was a pretty intentional decision and action uh, compared to, to many things. But I, I guess what I like, like I sort of, I, I would do a genealogy on this or something, or I'm not sure that this is going to constitute a directly philosophical objection, but I feel like, okay, the first move is, you know, there are persons, there are people and, um, then we move to the stage where we're trying to say what people are. And I think that at that stage, we start to just kind of recapitulate the Western philosophical tradition. So like this kind of overweening rationalism, um, this, this kind of idea that, 
Uh, you think that, that my view is overly rationalistic and what, not yes. in the sense that I think it's, I mean, the reasons can be tremendously stupid and irrational, right? Right. Um, um, I certainly am not suggesting that we're rational in that sense. What I'm saying is that the logic of action is teleological rather than mechanical, right? I'm not satisfied with it. I don't think that's true. And I don't, and I don't like the picture of what a human being is that emerges from that. So you think uh, you could give an entirely mechanistic account of why the boy in my, in my essay went to the mall instead of to his friend's house? Um, I don't think so. I'm not, I'm not sure if we can or not. Uh, but those, uh, those might not be the only alternatives. What I'm trying to, hmm. What would be an okay? Yeah, okay. I mean, I, 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 false dile- you think it's a false dilemma? Yes. Okay, uh, I'd like to. Yeah, I, I hadn't even occurred to me. So, what would another alternative be other than teleological or mechan or mechanical? What what other sorts of logics are there to that we could? Okay, well, for I guess one thing is that I think the teleological and mechanical have to run together extremely at a minimum. Yeah, so, I'm treating the teleological as the result of an interpretation of the mechanical, right? Right. Uh, the, the actually, this is what you get when you interpret motor movements within certain frames of so, evaluation. So something's not an action until it's re-described? Or, well, uh, again, an action is not going to be a thing in the way a motor movement is, right? An action is going to, it's going to be a motor, set of motor movements under a certain interpretive characterization, right? And that's what's going to distinguish one action from another, despite the fact that the motor movements are identical, right? Right. You know, right. This thing. I guess, I, <sighs> I, w- I wish I could just say something really clear on, on my position here. But this is really hard to express, and that, that's one of the hardest. All right, so e- even in the case of the most evidently intentional tele- teleological-style action, um, so, for example, I decide to drive to Giant and get some dessert or something like that, you know? Um, and, you know, I want something sweet. I think there's sweet stuff at Giant. I go there and buy it, right? Now, first of all, there's it's all a flashback of- to all the lessons on folk psychology I got in grad school. I just got flashes of Jerry Fodor's aunt and his grandmother, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's funny doing all these examples, right? You start, uh, it, yeah, you reconstruct ordinary, what ordinary human beings are doing in like this insane, weird. weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, all right, so first of all, my impulse to eat something sweet it has biological origins. Oh, uh, absolutely. Guessing. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Um, it's even sort of biologically ex- explicable, um, maybe in terms of what other sweets I've had or my, like, insulin problems. Or- yeah, I would say that wanting you, in a sense, to simply craving sweets would be – I would give a straightforwardly – Mechanist, yeah. me, what I'm calling mechanistic explanation of, yes. So that's what sets me in motion. Yes. Uh, as long, as well as, I guess, the belief that the Clark bar or whatever I buy yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. will satisfy that. Um, now, getting to Giant, every aspect of my motion 
is constrained by the physical universe, okay? Like, I can't just suddenly disappear from here and appear uh, at Giant. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I'm negotiating a physical environment, massive physical facts. Yep. Uh, in general, for example, the posture of my body at any given moment is fixed by massive physical facts of the environment by which I'm surrounded. The position I'm in right now is determined by the chair I'm sitting in, okay? Not my decisions. I mean, there's maybe decisions are in there somewhere, okay? But decisions are the expression of the decision. The action is massively constrained by the physical universe and also by the biology of the organism, um, and so, I mean, so I, I guess I, that's the way I'd start down the road of resituating human actions in the physical universe, because I do think that these kind of positions are desituating human actions from the physical universe in some way. Yeah. Um, and um, so I'm I'm continually impressed by the constraints on my action and on my desires and on my beliefs from the directly mechanical, physical universe that I'm inhabiting. I can't even form intentions except relationally in terms of my physical surround, and I certainly can't pursue them, uh, you know, without, like, negotiating a physical environment continuously. Now, that doesn't completely melt down the distinction or something like this. Given that I've said that, actions consist of motor movements but are not identical with or reducible to them i don't see in other words i i I, nowhere do i deny that actions consist of motor movements what i want to say is that um quay actions they 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 fit into a certain logic that's part of a certain form of life (laughs) in wittgenstein's sense that is right. not translatable, reducible, or displaceable in terms of physicalistic, mechanistic. In other words, the observation that the mechanistic is involved in the active, let's call it, is nothing is not something I ever deny, right? I mean, I, I say flat out that actions consist of motor movements. Um, but the purpose of the sort of all these cases that I give, and I try to pick very mundane ones so that there's no chance that the conclusion rests upon an oddity of the, of the situation, um, is simply to point out that, um, when we, but that quay actions, what we're really saying is that the motor movements beyond fitting into a certain kind of story that you give in the scientific image also play a role in a story that you, you tell in the manifest image. And they do so by virtue of having, of, of, of being sub- subjectable to a kind of logic that is autonomous in the sense that it cannot be reduced or eliminated. Right. Um, and all that I'm trying to say is that that's real, <laughs> There's no trouble with saying it's real because it's not real in the sense that we mean that when we say that, you know, this, this exists, right? Um, um, and, um, that that's all right. That, that nothing is lost, right? In, in, in making that and saying that. And that indeed, unless we say that and add it together to what we're saying 
when we tell the scientific story, we actually haven't given a complete account, right, of what's going on. I guess, I guess maybe part of the issue is, do you think that the space of reasons is real? I'm a little skeptical of it because I don't seem to experience it the way sellers you don't, do. You don't, you don't ah. engage in normative behavior. You don't thank people for things when they give them to you. You don't um, um, com- com- blame people for things. You don't. Yes, I do. Uh, well, I certainly blame people. That's compatible with my little ethics because I don't think, uh, you know, uh, freedom or practical rationality or rationality for sure is necessary for moral responsibility. I, I guess what bothers me. Could you just tell that? Could you maybe tell that um, story? So let's use the example I give in the piece. Um, uh, you and I are buddies, and I promise to come over to your house to hang out. But, you know, I'm 13 years old, and the hormones are jumping all over the place. And I found out that this girl I really like is in the mall, and so I kind of stand you up and I go to the mall instead. Now, eventually, you know, we talk and you say, you know, how dare you? Um, 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 what is the basis of your complaint, if not along the lines that I would want to suggest? Well, what if what if I I uh, you know what if I said to you I was compelled to go to the mall, the hormones are hopping or something like that. But I mean, um, look, okay, so. That's a, that's a situation I do think where we that would be an excuse, right? I lacked agency. Yes, you know, I, I, I lacked. You know, I'm sorry, I had a lapse of agency, and your friend might sympathize. Um, um, might still be pissed off though. Uh, yeah, but he wouldn't have a he wouldn't have a basis for a moral complaint, right? I mean, I mean, I think so. he could be pissed off, but then what would the basis be? Okay, so. I really don't think that in every case, at least, free uh, freedom in any sense like that is necessary for moral responsibility. But, uh, I mean, we're a little far off from the original topics, I guess. But like, I, I guess I'll give you some cases. Doesn't like, it only matter that, that there be some? Uh, no, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure there's certain in instances in which failure to ascribe agency is even going to be intelligible, right? I mean, I don't even know how you're going to characterize the movements, the motor movements as the relevant actions. Okay, fair enough. Ascribe some kind of agency, right? Well, then we have to talk about like what it would, what it means to ascribe agency. And does that entail some sort of free will? Which I do. And it, it doesn't. Okay. That to All act right. is simply to do something for a reason um, that's related teleologically to an end. That's all that I said. I don't even think there, I, I think I, I try to sidestep the whole thing. I just simply want to distinguish between actions and events. Events are, are, are governed by the laws of causality and actions are governed by, by the laws of, of teleology, um, of reasons and ends. And that's it. Okay, um, so- I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't believe in free will. I don't think that there's a part of us that's uncaused. I don't think that actions, because actions do consist of motor movements, of course they're caused. Right, um, but, but the idea that I'm doing it because I have a certain purpose or reason—I mean, it's not important partly because it makes the action mine in a way that I can, that people can ascribe res- moral responsibility 
for it. I mean, I, I guess I think there's an ethical. Well, th- there is, but the, what makes them mine is that they're, th- that the action is the relative of my reasons and my ends, right? Now that's, that's what nicely come is illustrated by the way I treat those Frankfurt cases, right? So my treatment of the fact Frankfurt case is very easy. Um, the voter didn't vote. The mad scientist voted. He just used the voter's body as a proxy, right? Um, even, um, though the, even though the voter voted voluntarily? Is no, the remember case? in the counterfactual situation, right? Where the, where the, where the, where the safe, where the safe goes off, right? The person's arm is made to pull Democrat. In other words, in other words, I okay, don't see I've the never- difference between the Frankfurt case and me building a robot and having it go, having it go vote, right? I mean, the robot didn't vote in the relevant sense, despite the oh. fact that it's the robot's motor movements that pulled the levers, right? I voted. I'm the one who it's my, because the voting is an action. And what matters is what, whose reasons and ends is the action in service of? No, you're sitting in the polling place, man. And the robot beeps in, pulls the lever for Hillary Clinton, as all robots do. Uh, and you're, okay, you're, you're a poll worker and you're going like, fuck me, a robot just voted. Is that false? I mean, uh, if it, 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 it's literally false. It's, it's a common way of speaking that I think obscures what's actually going on. And that, that, that shows up in places like legal challenges, right? You wouldn't put the robot in jail. <laughs> that doesn't mean it didn't vote. But yeah, I do think. Yes, that- I, yes, it does because. You're, the, the, the jail sentence is for the fraudulent voting. And so that de- determines who the fraudulent voter is, right? The fraudulent voter is not the robot. The fraudulent voter is the guy who sent the robot to do it, right? And that would be reflected not just legally, but morally, right? Now, we'll decommission the robot so it doesn't vote anymore. And we'll make it illegal for, to make robots like that <laughs> so they don't vote. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think that that's. Uh, I think I think you're kind of agreeing with me. Actually, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, well, what you're pointing to is that ordinary language is often ambiguous as to whether what it's denoting are motor movements, quay motor movements, or motor movements quay actions. And all that I'm saying is that when they're motor movements quay actions, they're subjective to a logic that they're not subject to when their motor movements quay motor movements. I guess I want to try to work on compromising that distinction. So like we were talking about this, let me talk about addiction just a little bit here. Yeah. 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 You, you alluded so, to that at the end of the last. Yeah. I, okay. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, and I think that doing all that drinking consisted of actions that I took. In other words, I mean, I don't hear action quite the same way as philosophy, philosophy seems to. Um, I think the word in ordinary language definitely is not used the way philosophers use it to mean only voluntary projected future, you know, um, stuff like that. Um, I think every time I picked up a glass and poured it in my mouth, I think that's an action, but I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't need to quibble about terms. Um, now, I, th- I probably believed each time I did that, or I didn't think about it usually, because these are not the ways we actually act. Like, in other words, I, 
in very many cases, I don't think to myself, I want, I'm hungry. The steak will satisfy my hunger. Therefore, I will eat the steak. I mean, I don't think that actually happens very often, but, but, um, but does, if I end up does, my view, does my view depend on that? Um, I think yes. my view only depended upon those motor movements being interpretable in okay. a certain way, given the frame of reference that we're talking about. I, I, okay. I would have thought that it requires, look, I'm supposed That's to be good. Vic and Stinian. I'm hardly going to be talking about internal representations, right? And stuff okay, like good. that. Good, um, good. Um, so no, but, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to ex- want to want to be on that team, right? But but aren't you talking about internal representations? Essentially, right? Like when you do like a, uh, a Aristotelian account of human action as a projection of a future. Um, I mean, I think it's all about. I mean, if there were no internal representations, that would be entirely impossible, right? Well, that, would, that would, again, though, require me to sort of hypostatize things like intentions and other elements that I'm going to want to resist, are going to say, I'm going to want to say belong to the manifest image and that I'm going to resist um, thingifying. Right. Because I don't want to get into sort of a parallel universes, right? There's like the Cartesian universe and then there's the, right. no, there's just one world. But as it's and 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 one set of things in the in the material sense of things going on, it's right. just that interpret. You know, it's just that there is a there is a, there is a sort of a, a, a space that gets created by interpretation, right? I mean, I mean, um, 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 look, right. it's not entirely dissimilar from the way in which material objects become artworks, right? I mean, um, um, yeah. And and I guess there is a certain level of counterintuitiveness and 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 how shall I say um, uh, interference with ordinary language because I agree with you that we ordinarily refer things as actions that, on my view, strictly speaking, are going to be right. merely motor movements, right? But I'm not giving an account of ordinary speech, really. I mean, I mean, I am trying to sort of give an yeah. account that sort of allows us to make sense of ordinary speech, but also to sort of help us avoid a whole number of problems. But anyway, go keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Okay. So the things about the drinking. Okay. Right. You think you acted. I, 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 I took myself at least for many years, I took myself to be reaching the decision to drink. I mean, in other words, to have, to be having the experience of going like, I want to catch a buzz. This six pack of beer will help me catch a buzz. So I drank the six pack of beer. Um, then when I say like got to 12 step programs, they kind of convinced me that I was not acting voluntarily at all. Or as you would say, I was not acting at all. Um, although I would resist that characterization because it sure looked like I was acting, you know, or people would say I was acting or whatever. Um, and so, you know, the AA developed the disease model of addiction. And they're trying to convince drinkers that they are not acting voluntarily. And I do think that that is also, like, phenomenologically, it has a lot of bite. So, in other words, like, by the time I was really trying to quit, I could be thinking, no, 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 gulp, 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 gulp. Now. 
I don't think that this, the characterization of human action in a kind of like Davidson, Parfit, Course Guard, Aristotle way can do some, do anything very interesting with that situation. Do you accept, it sounds to me like you shouldn't be accepting the AA account. I, I, I think that it, I thought that you just said that you, you were acting for reasons. I, I convinced myself that I was acting for reasons. And do you think you were not? I think I was not. I think I was responding to a, first of all, a kind of disease condition of the brain or whatever. And then also the availability of alcoholism in the environment, alcohol in the environment. And so nonetheless, though, you do still think that you were responsible for it. Yes. Okay. Do you think they were or weren't actions? Uh, I, I resist this use of the word action in this technical, technical way. Cause I think it's an, I think it, I mean, this is a typical kind of philosophical argument where we use an ordinary term in a highly technical sense. Well, I'm, not, I'm just asking, and, no, I mean, look, yeah. look, there's a very straightforward sense where if I have a seizure and yeah. my hand gets, goes up and gets stuck in this position, there's a very straightforward sense. And I think, intuitively, which I haven't acted, right? Certainly, if I contrast it with doing this to ask my third grade teacher if I can go to the bathroom. Now, right, but what if I is drinking, is the drinking more like the muscle spasm or is it more like raising my hand to go to the bathroom? I feel like it's an intermediate case or like it's a case... And well, let's think, say that it is. Is that a problem for me? Well, I think uh, not necessarily, but uh, I think that these things are mixed up uh, inextricably in virtually every human movement. Like, and I don't think it's very easy to uh, characterize almost any human action one way or another purely. Like, is it purely intention? Is it intention that made this happen? Or was it the, you know, the, physical surround that caused the intention or whatever. Uh, like that's a hard question. Now See, I, I never wonder whether, whether it, whether something made something happen when I'm talking about actions, what I, what I'm wondering is can this series of events be plausibly interpreted within a normative framework? That's really essentially what I'm getting at. Well, and I, say- I don't see any reason why my view suffers if the answer to that is sometimes ambiguous. Okay. In other words, I'm making conceptual distinctions. I don't see, it doesn't seem to me that that entails that I have to claim that the, that the phenomena themselves are never ambiguous. Right. Unless you think that that does commit me to that. I didn't think it did. Well, it starts to suggest that the two pictures can be integrated, perhaps, or that they're not as in principle, uh, separate as they're sometimes portrayed as being. So, I, I mean, I think it's interesting the way alcohol, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, it definitely locates alcoholism in a moral space. But b- before it does that, it locates it in a medical space. Does it ever so, explain that, contra- that apparent tension? How uh, something that, I mean, you, you don't morally blame people for having cancer, right? Right. Um, if this is a disease and is not the result of malicious intentionality, then what is exactly the account of why? Well, why is it not like cancer? 
Well, don't start out with the assumption that freedom is necessary for moral responsibility. So we should we should hold people morally responsible for things like cancer and heart disease. And no, uh, there might be all kinds of different cases, and there might not be a univocal account. But okay, so in the Alcoholics Anonymous case, the first step is I am powerless over alcohol. I am powerless over whether I drink or not. Like you have to accept that. And it's going to feel very plausible. Is that true? I, it's essentially true. So I, nobody quits cold turkey? No, they do. Of course they do. That, um, that, that does seem to me to be contradictory. No, but they don't do it by their own personal power. How do they do they it? They don't do it by reaching a decision to do it and then doing it. Um, it's, it's a lot, lot more complicated than that. So, okay, so then, though, Okay, so after this first move, it, this might just be incoherent, uh, but it, I think it is effective as a treatment, relatively Oh, I, I don't deny that taking that yeah. stance may be a useful therapeutic tool. Right. That's why I asked, is it actually true, though? There's right. all sorts of useful fictions, right? Um, yeah. The question is whether it's actually true. And by the way, I wasn't going to interrogate it because, I, I, you know, it seems obnoxious, but I'm not sure I accept your account of the, the you know, it seems to me to, to ignore the whole possibility of there being semi-conscious reasons. Um, um, sure. The fact that you're saying something to yourself, no, 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 doesn't mean that there aren't reasons operating underneath. Um, um, yeah. um, look, I think a lot, look, I think an awful lot of this, the, the difficulty comes to do with um, the problem. The problem often is that people are just absolutely terribly ambivalent, right? And it's just really, you know, in other words, and that, that, that can often sort of give the appearance of a kind of a frustrated intention, but there actually is no frustration at all. The intentions are ambivalent throughout, right? Right. Um, um, I mean, that, that means I think we need a much more complicated, uh, I mean, it's picture of practical rationality where in any given decision, I probably have multiple um, uh, goals all clashing, and I, I'm not even sure how I'm picking between them. Yeah, uh, uh, you know. But okay, so but just to just to finish it, like so. No, no, yeah, of course. The first step, I'm powerless over alcohol, so I got to accept that I cannot stop drinking by my own initiative. But then, when, by the time we get to the fourth step, I have to accept responsibility for everything I did when I was drinking and go start going and apologizing for it and stuff like that. Um, now, you know, that, you know, that there might be ways to finagle that or whatever, but it also doesn't strike me as entirely insane or something like this. And it did strike me as true. And Not at all insane, but I need to, I, but in order to understand it, I'd need to hear more about it. Right. Right. I don't think there's anything insane about it. Look, um, um, I don't think compatibilism is an, is an insane position. I, I do think hard determinism is, and I do think that radical libertarianism is. I don't really occupy this scale at all, and so I kind of view myself as seeing, looking at it from the outside. But I'm happy to talk about that scale. Um, but I, I do need to hear something, though, about, okay, how does that all work? How is it that I'm responsible for something that five minutes ago you said I was so powerless over that I couldn't fix it myself? Well, um, one thing you could immediately conclude, if that was all true, 
is that freedom or in, even intention and stuff like that is not necessary for more responsibility. Okay, then on what basis is it ascribed? Uh, well, I mean, I guess there, there are possibilities of this, like sort of you can work on some kind of agent causation or something like that. Like, in other words, it is in some sense myself, I believe, that was causing me to put, pick up the drink. Um, you know, and, and. So you should, you should be arrested and charged and convicted for robbery after I hypnotize you and send you to rob a bank. No, I, I, again, I, I think I would take a, a Dan Kaufman move here and say, like, there's all kinds of different cases. And there are cases where, uh, compromised, um, freedom does provide an excuse, especially if it's another agent. Yeah. That's, yeah. but, yeah. uh, but do you think all- that that's all articulable without acknowledging a space of reasons? The I don't reality think the, of a space of reasons. I don't think the objection is articulable. Because it's an objection to this idea of the space of reasons or whatever um, that we occupy. Um, I mean, these are ways of just kind of starting to raise misgivings uh, about different sorts of cases, or to suggest amendations. I mean, look, I'm, what, what it may what I may have to do is sort of, you know, obviously I have to do because the thing is so short, um, um, and obviously you know there's a gazillion things there that need to be unpacked. But I mean, maybe. It's simply rather than a sort of a problem. It's, it's sort of like Dan. Look, you know, you need to talk more about how the conceptual distinction you're trying to make actually manifests in the world. In other words, obviously, it seems like there's a lot of ambiguous cases. It seems like we can talk a lot about ambivalent um, reasons, which seem to bleed into not non not having reasons, right? Yes. Um, and and so I mean, suppose that I had a much more detailed story about about how this conceptual distinction does not mean that the world is divided neatly up that way. And talk a little bit about yeah. In other words, am I actually saddled with a problem, or am I really being invited to sort of elaborate more, be more clear that the distinctions I'm making are conceptual distinctions? that I think we can read and find in all of these actual cases. Okay. Um, but that um, um, the fact that they're ambiguous or building, in other words, there's just so many places, other places where we make relatively clear conceptual distinctions while at the same time acknowledging that as manifested, there's all sorts of ambiguous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's the right approach actually, even by my lights, uh, you know, even if, if I'm trying to collapse this rationalistic picture of human agency or whatever, as I would call it, um, actually, I do have a place for reasons in the chain of what happens and things like this, too. I'm, I'm not just denying that, that the reasons make anything happen. Um, I do think that we operate for reasons less often than we think we do uh, or that philosophers think we do. Um, and that we, uh, and that we're often or even very often deluded that we are operating for reasons. Um, like I would definitely not take this as a way of characterizing persons globally 
because well, that, I th- now that is going to matter though, but that's going to matter to me, right? Because if I'm accepting the sort of Salarzian account of persons and I want to say that, you know, <clears throat> persons are in a sense what you get when you take, you know, human organisms and their material activities and embed them within certain narratives, right? Certain kinds of uh, narratives. Now that, that then is going to, I am going to then be wrong if you're right. Right. I mean, that, that, that is something that I'm going to have to think about. Um, And uh, so I, I guess I would keep pressing toward like persons are more like chairs and more like dogs than sellers thinks we are. Uh, and I would keep like bringing up cases like that, including cases where dogs are morally responsible. Although people aren't going to be too happy with this. You know what I mean? Like where the dog eats the Thanksgiving turkey and we all have a discourse and reactive attitudes that blame the dog and we punish the dog by putting him outside or something like that, let's say. Uh, like that's a whole moral repertoire. Um, and actually the you dog. Don't think that that, you don't think that that's interpretable in a way that's compatible with my way of thinking that's not artificial? I mean, look, really what we're doing is conditioning the dog to not behave in ways that we find distasteful. That's very different from. Um, um, uh, is it? It seems to me that at least I can, I can point to a number of cases where we punish persons in which you'd want to say that there's, there's a clear disanalogy, right? Um, 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 you know, with my daughter, you know, raise, you've raised, you've raised children. Um, I've raised children. I would say that it very clearly, we do both kinds of things to them, but I would say that we only do one kind of thing to the dog, right? Um, yes, there's a certain element to which I'm trying to condition my daughter as I'm raising her to behave in ways that I find amenable, but I'm also trying, at least I, the way I parented was I've as often as I could tried to engage her in the space of reasons. Yeah. Partly because I thought at the end of the day, it was going to be important that she be able to on her own operate within that space. Yeah. Um, um, and I took that as a sort of a profound duty on my part. And yeah. I would unfavorably contrast the parenting of people I knew, others that I know, who took an entirely dog dog like approach? Um, so I don't know. Do you, do you think that that's self deceptive? Um, well, I, I think that like the actual event that is liable to happen, uh, you know, it may be that the person is thinking to themselves, "I got to condition my dog not to do this." But actually, the I think what is liable to happen in, in the explosion in the head is like what that dog did was wrong. That was bad. I'm angry uh, about that and I'm going to punish for it. So like it's, that seems to me like the whole moral repertoire basically, you know, that uh, you think, you think that the, the effort to make further distinctions beyond that is what artificial self justifying. So um, um, self serving. What, what, but what I about think, what I said about my daughter? I mean, if yeah. I say to you, it strikes me as very important that my daughter come to the point to where she's operating in the space of reasons and where she's able to operate in the space of reasons um, and not simply to, in a sense, treat her as an instrument, right? To, to sort of 
is that a, is, how is is that not tr- is that not true? It, it seems to me prof- not only true but kind of profoundly so, right? I can't disagree with it as a, a about child rearing, uh, but I think we're doing something similar to with the dog actually. But I, I don't want to like equate those two. I don't know. I understand. I understand. I understand. Now this is it's very difficult. Turner. Look, um, we are we are now at an hour forty five minutes. I'm yeah. gonna say let's just stop it. Um, because there's going to be more and we'll have a chance to revisit. And at some point we'll have a, a sort of a wrap up final wrap up thing where, where we'll see sort of add up the score sheet and see how I did, I think. <laughs> um, but you know, the one thing I just want to leave with is my current feeling about our interaction here is that I'm not sure whether in confronting you, I'm being confronted with objections or with, in a sense, a demand that I cash a check that I've written. Right? In other words, in other words, I'm not clear if I see an objection or whether I'm seeing a need for further elaboration. Um, yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, um, because I think, in some ways, I'm saying things that sound like things that are obviously objectionable to you, but I'm not sure I am. Yeah. Um. Um. So anyway, let let me think about it more, and let me also think more about the stuff you said here towards the end about about this, and also whether I think that my conceptual distinctions require me to eschew on the ground ambiguities, right? Um, um, because I'm not sure about that. I have to think about that. Yeah, and yeah. And I'll also put up whatever the next installment's going to be, and I have to think about that a little bit too. So, you know, anyway, thank you so much, huh? You know what the topic is of the next one? No, that but that's this this conversation is partly going to determine that. Um, right. um, because I did the last two installments. I did the reason I did those in the order I did them was because of our last conversation, and so I'd like to ruminate a little bit on this conversation and think about where the next. In other words, I have the whole thing in my head, but in what order I present it and what pieces I lay down first, I'm allowing our conversations to determine that to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so um, I hope you don't mind being used in this way. I appreciate it. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> so am I. Um, and take care of yourself and um, um, stay well. I know you had back trouble. You said you're getting better. I'm glad. Yeah. And I'll see you in the next one. All right, man. All right, my friend.